React Native allows developers to build native applications for iOS and Android using components written in the React JavaScript framework. These React.js components render to native application code by going over a JavaScript bridge, a message bus that communicates between JavaScript code and native iOS or Android runtimes. For most mobile application use cases, React Native works well, but in some cases the platform suffers from performance issues due to the functionality of the JavaScript bridge. For example, mobile games with high demands on graphics and networking and fast real-time updates to the UI, these can stutter when using React Native. To address the performance issues of React Native, the core team working on React Native at Facebook is re-architecting the React Native runtime with a project called Fabric. Fabric consists of changes to the threading model, the data handling system, and the JavaScript bridge. Chris Severns and Lee Johnson work at G2i, which is a group of React and React Native specialists. Chris and Lee join the show to discuss the re-architecture of React Native, including the engineering history of React. They also talk about the technical debt within the React project and the vision that the React team has for the future. In addition, we talk about Google's Flutter project, a cross-platform native framework with a different architectural model than React Native. It was a great conversation with Chris and Lee, and I hope to do it again sometime. I am here with the G2i team. You guys are all React Native specialists, and I'm looking forward to having a conversation about React Native. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Cool. Thanks for having us on, Jeff. So the main topic today that I want to discuss is React Native and its re-architecture that it's undergoing. Why is React Native undergoing a re-architecture? Well, I think there's a lot of things that they're trying to accomplish with the re-architecture, and it might be helpful to start by going into explaining some of the different pieces of that. Actually, Ram had a good blog post that was kind of a glossary of terms that explained all the kind of different initiatives that they're doing from the the Lean Core project to Fabric and the JSI. But at the high level, part of why they're redoing this is to really make React Native more maintainable moving forward, you know, by using Lean Core, moving a lot of the modules that are currently in the React Native package out to the community, it makes it easier for the core team to focus on what's really important inside of React Native and for the community to be able to support the extra pieces such as the web view when needed. And they've seen a really great just response and show of support from the React Native community and supporting that web view component, which uh, is really cool and I think really encouraging for the future of React Native and just where it's headed. And then when you look at the other pieces such as the JSI, it's really about improving performance and you know making React Native just continue to feel more and more like a true native experience um, and remove the so-called jankiness. Uh, that you sometimes get with having to travel over the bridge. And I'm sure Lee and, you know, Andre can speak personally to some of the experiences they've had uh, with React Native on that front. 
Yes, can you guys talk about the JavaScript bridge and the associated jankiness? <laughs> jankiness. Yeah, that's a technical term, right? So I, I think one important note to the re-architecture is just the fact that you know Facebook uses this all the time, and some and they have big boy problems, right? So they have lots of data and lots of users, and they're using React Native in some key things, and so the re-architecture is from pain points and issues and things that they have learned through using it at a level that most people will never approach, right? They just they have so much just bandwidth and things going on. So they, you know, and then they're proving it as they're or working on it. And then, and then the bridge is a lot of that. And JSI is a lot of that re-architecture. Um, and so in the, in the bridge, one of the first things I did in React Native was write a bridge. And it was because in the early days, you couldn't just NPM install modules and they work. Most things had not been created for React Native because it was a new platform. And we had a messaging SDK. It was a messaging service we were using. They had an iOS SDK, but there was nothing for React Native because React Native was new. So we had to integrate that into our application through the bridge. And basically what it is, is you have, you know, your native side, which is iOS in my case. Uh, and then you have your JavaScript side, which is your React. For those things to talk together, they have to communicate over the bridge. And it's typically an asynchronous queued message so it you know our app would talk to that messaging app and say hey send a message and then ios would do its thing and tell our javascript when it was done say okay i sent a message here's the response and it kind of does that ping pong back and forth and that's the bridge and then that is actually kind of how it works with almost all of the native elements that you use in your react native application it sends a message over the wire the native code does what it needs to do and then asynchronously sends back a response or data or whatever. And then you, so you can send multiple messages and it will kind of queue them and, and do them as it can, which is, was great. I mean, when it came out, it was great because those two things ran on different threads. So your interface is extremely smooth because it's not stuttering and blocking as your JavaScript is calling and doing these things, which before we did a lot of things in PhoneGap uh, or Cordova or different methods like that, and you, that was the whole problem was the feel, right? The stuttering kind of just webby feel that you got didn't feel like a native application. And that's what React Native really saw for us in the early days was like, man, this feels like a native application because it doesn't have those pauses. Every time you do something in your, quote, web code in like PhoneGap, you like scrolling. It never scrolls smoothly, ever. Didn't matter how many, you know, it would always stutter and kind of act funny. And it's just something you had to deal with. And then um, React Native came along and put them in their own separate buckets. And it's like, wow, this thing looks and acts exactly like a native app. Right. Now, I remember using, I think it was like the food delivery apps in like 2008 or 2009, around the time when, you know, all these companies were starting to build their their native apps. They were all using these cross-platform things, and it was really stuttery. And and then React Native, you know, came out, and and it was it was leaps and bounds uh, ahead of what had come before it. So you know, all due respect to React Native, despite our uh, criticisms of the the current architecture. And I think we should talk about the ramifications of the current architecture so like the the in the current world as i understand it there are instances where the programmer needs to write 
native code instead of React native code. So there are certain instances where you really need high performance, and in those cases, you will have to write native iOS code or native Android code, and that code will run differently than the React native code ex- itself. Can you describe this this dichotomy? Sure. I mean, I can, or Andre, if you want to weigh in on that. I know you guys have kind of been working on some of that stuff recently. Yeah, I just want to illustrate what what kinds of performance issues do you have to address by writing native code? Yeah, so, and, and Rom does a really good, simple explanation of that. And one of his was when you're typing really fast, you know, that every keystroke actually goes to the JavaScript side, updates, and then that sends back to your native side so that it shows whatever you're typing on the screen. You know, and then there's a loop there. There's a trip for every one of those. Um, they kind of are smart and did some debounce things inside the actual code, but there's like this this travel for something really small that can get stuttery. And another, and that's kind of a weird example. Another common example is like scrolling. Like if you have lots and lots and lots of things on a scroll list, and you and you just fling your thumb and and zoom through them, you know, it's it can't refresh it fast enough to keep up with it. Those are two common areas where the bridge kind of struggles. And then a third would be if you were doing some kind of 2D like game type thing, right? If you had an application and it had a 2D component, maybe it's this Pokemon Go where you're doing this really neat app, map type app thing, but you had other elements that were menu driven, whatever. Obviously that also requires a lot of render cycles and real time updating. So all those instances are when you would kind of look at doing native code. So when it comes down to especially game, you don't want any delay, right? You don't want anything in between you and the lower level because uh, performance is at a premium. You want updates as fast as possible. You want them instant. So anything that gets in the way of that is going to cause slowdown or the technical term jankiness, I guess, is what we're using. <laughs> so you want to you know, write those in native code. And, and in React Native, you can do that. You can define it and you can kind of go back and forth. You can have a completely native application that you wrote you know, years ago and have a tab that's a React Native application. I mean, so you can definitely mix it up, but those are the instances. Anytime you need some really low-level, high-performant things, those are instances where you have to get down into the actual native code. Chris, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think that is a good, you know, summary. And, you know, not so much, I guess, about performance, but one thing that I think is interesting when it comes to native code is, you know, a few years ago, you really had to write native code to do a lot of stuff because there just weren't solutions out there. And I think it shows how far React Native has come and that a lot of people can honestly just like use an Expo project and it has so many like extra bindings for a lot of the native stuff you want to do that are written and are just super effective at the JavaScript layer. And so it's pretty rare outside of, I think, the performance issues that kind of Lee was talking about to actually even need to dip into the native layer these days. There's just so many really stable, solid solutions out there in the community that are being provided, which I think is pretty cool to see. And, and those solutions, are they going over the bridge in a more efficient manner or are they taking some other route to to rendering and updating the components so uh, well like as far as implementations go most of them yes go over the bridge and in a way a lot of the built-in modules go over a bridge like everything kind of has to go over the bridge the bridge is how you know in one form or another now there are some native module views that kind of give you a little bit lower level 
But in one form or another, JavaScript has to kind of, you know, toss over, you know, stuff to the native side and it tosses it back, which is the point of the whole re-architecture that is going away. So I guess let's start to talk about the characteristics of the bridge and some of the issues with the bridge as it stands today. So the JavaScript bridge was designed to be asynchronous, serializable, and batched. And as we've said, it's it's basically this message bus that is communicating the state of JavaScript components to underlying native UI state. And uh, in, or, in order to, to communicate between the, this JavaScript kind of artificial layer and the, the native UI state underneath, you have this message bus, this JavaScript bridge. And it was designed to be asynchronous, serializable, and batched. Can you guys describe those characteristics in more detail? So uh, we've talked a lot about the asynchronous part. And so that's when you send a message over. And it's a lot like Node, right? Uh, Node came along. At being a non-blocking single-threaded application, lots of things ran asynchronously so that the JavaScript side can make a call to the native side and keep doing things. You know, each side can work independently of the other. And then the synchronize is just because for those, for each side to access data that has to be synchronized or it has to be kind of dumped out so that the other side can pick it back up because there's no way to really share that data between the two different technologies. And then in the batch, just kind of like the queuing, like we were talking about earlier, you know, it, it's smart enough on the native side to kind of handle things as it comes. The JavaScript side can fire things pretty quickly. In most cases, right, we, we talk about this like it's this terrible performance problems. And, and 99% of the cases, you won't even notice any of this stuff going on. It, you, you use the term of a bridge, and I think of it like driving to work over a river. You know, you drive across a bridge to work and you drive across to go back home. But that's if you like could drive across a bridge in, you know, what, 20 something milliseconds. So it's <laughs> extreme. It's extremely fast. And, and the way it does all this, but kind of like we were talking about with the gaming or uh, lower level stuff, any delay can be a problem in certain instances. And so I guess that's kind of how it works. Okay. So Fabric is React Native's effort at re-architecting this UI layer. Describe Facebook's plan to re-architect React Native. So basically at a high level, you know, what they want to do is kind of blow up the bridge and really go to a model that's much more like what we have today in our browser. So... You know, if in JavaScript you set a variable equal to document.createElement div or whatever, it's actually like pointing to something that's being implemented at a lower level in something like, say, C++. And that is really what we want to do with the new React Native architecture and the JSI is that instead of taking actions at the JavaScript layer, serializing them, passing them over the bridge and dealing with it on the UI thread at native, actually there will be this JavaScript interface that you can interact and block the UI thread synchronously from actions uh, that are being taken at the top level and JavaScript is listening to and, and delivering those across to the native layer. So 
that will go a long way in solving the performance problems that Lee was talking about when you get those super long scroll lists that you're flicking through and you end up with you know, just a blank screen and then the list items start populating in. Well, because you're blocking the UI thread on your scroll event, you can't scroll faster than the UI thread can update anymore, right? You're actually dealing with it in more real time. So that's kind of the idea. And you, you have this glue layer now in between your native code and your JavaScript that's written in C++ because uh, basically Node has this support for running C++ in the JavaScript VM and so it can take your JavaScript code and do code gen down to the native code that needs to be you know, run on the UI thread. And it's just constantly running in between your JavaScript layer and your native layer. Let's, let's drill down into that scrolling example in a little more detail. Chris, can you, can you just rephrase what you said about the scrolling issue as it exists today with the current JavaScript bridge model and describe how the improvements to, I guess, synchronicity or asynchronicity are helping with that use case of the, of the scrolling through. Yeah. So in today's world with the bridge, and by the way, Ram goes through this example in his talk from ReactConf. So anybody who is interested in getting into more detail should definitely check that out. But basically in today's world, you have a scroll event that's happening on the JS layer. And as we said before, the JavaScript needs to now like translate that into some big string or whatever that it's going to translate it into, serialize it, give it to the bridge, and the bridge has to hand it off to the UI thread, and the UI thread has to unserialize, unpack it, get the information it needs about the updating of the UI state, reconcile all of that, and display it onto the screen. Now, obviously, as Lisa, that usually happens really, really fast, but for something like scrolling, we can just input so much into JavaScript faster than that transaction can happen, and so it is you know, updating the UI thread without being able to pull down all the extra data you need to show these cards or you know, whatever happens to be in your scroll view. So where they're moving to with the JSI is as you actually are hitting that scroll event in JavaScript, you are making a call that basically immediately goes into the UI thread layer through this JavaScript interface and starts updating the code there. And so you're not dealing with asynchronicity anymore. This is a synchronous blocking call to the UI thread. And, you know, so you're not able to kind of pile up events on one side and have to wait for them to be resolved. Instead, as the events are happening, they're actually updating the UI thread on your phone and you're seeing, you know, a much smoother real-time interaction. Uh, Lee, I don't know if there's anything, you know, that you could add to that or, or clarify in that. Well, I mean, it's a great explanation. And just uh, people you hear synchronized. I mean, we're, we're JavaScript developers. You hear blocking and synchronized and you immediately say that is bad. But in this case, right, so like on an iPhone, it, it updates 60 frames per second. If, if you can block it for less than one sixtieth of a second, which is perfectly doable, that's not as crazy as it sounds then you can't visually see it, right? You're you're injecting your updates directly into that scroll view. You're basically pausing it for 160th of a second to 
like almost, you know, force the data in there instead of having it wait and pull it off of a queue when it feels like it, right? You're forcing it in there in like one sixtieth of a second. And it's so fast that your eye and the device can't tell. The scrolling example is such a good example here because scrolling is something you want to be synchronous. You want to, if you think of scrolling, if you're scrolling through a web page and you think of a scroll action as a series of frames that the page is displaying to you, you don't want to see those pages out of order. You don't want to skip any frames in that scrolling action. You want them to be displayed to you smoothly and in sequential order, which demands a synchronous pattern of display. So the C++ thing that that sits on the side, it is like, I guess this is an alternative rendering unit to the JavaScript bridge. Am I understanding that correctly? Well, it says there, it's called a host object, right? And a host object is kind of the default C++ thing that talks. And it's, yeah, it's like a, uh, instead of a bridge of communication, it's almost like an exposed wrapper of the object itself, if that makes any sense. So you can call it directly instead of, like, I could talk to you directly instead of sending a message through somebody that says, hey, you know, come meet Lee at the coffee shop. You know, you know, we're talking directly now to you instead of going through your assistant or whoever's taking messages for you. And so Fabric is for the UI portion and it uses JSI, but there's other parts of it that also use JSI and host objects. So this idea, and it's the way it is today. The bridge is used in lots of places beyond just when you actually have to write a bridge. That implementation is used internally in a lot of areas. Um, including you know, UI and updates and things like that. And so all of that's kind of being converted from this kind of disconnected messaging to a connected implementation. So why wouldn't you just make all of your modules, like if we talk about some scroll scrolling module and, and we can you know, instantiate this C++ thing that is talking to the underlying native UI layer instead of going over the bridge, why wouldn't we just do this for every JavaScript component that we have? On the, ter- the, on the React Native side, it will be that way, right? So, all, And that's kind of what the turbo modules are and some of the code glue. All of the things that exist will have these wrappers. Um, so everything becomes direct. There is no more bridge. That's kind of the, the future. Interesting. And does that require developers to significantly re-architect their applications? It depends, right? So Chris had mentioned earlier how, you know, like an expo type for most use cases, and we, you know, we develop a lot of React Native apps, and it's rare that we have to get into the native code. And when we do, it's something simple like a there's this logging tool that they want to use. Uh, and so we have to implement that on the native side. So it's, it's, we rarely come into these issues in real life. And, and those applications, this won't make any change at all. The JavaScript side doesn't change. It's just the native side, the bridge side changes. However, on the flip side, if you have created customized bridging implementations and tools, then those things will need to be converted to the JSI. Now, I'm uh, assuming and everything that I've read seems like there's probably going to be a, tra- a period where both exist you know, for a while until they, you know, migrate fully to the JSI model. Part of me thinks that there's just somebody on the React Native team that really loves C++ and wants people to write more of it. And that's that's the whole plan here. Well, and actually, you don't have to write C++. That's a joke, right? The host object is a interface that you can 
right, and you can implement that in your uh, whichever side. Just to make sure people that are listening understand where, what we're talking about here, could you define the term turbo module? Yeah, so I'm, I mean, turbo modules is what the React Native team calls it, and they came up with it. And so it's, I've tried to, to get all of these architecture things straight in my brain because now I'm so fabric is the UI part, right? And JSI is the interface, the direct interface. And then so turbo modules are the what are those? So those are the wrappers of the native modules that exist today. And then there's the code glue, which is kind of there's and then there's the cogen part, and the cogen part is kind of where it will actually automatically generate this uh, wrapper implementation that I had described earlier automatically for certain types of objects. I think that the, the turbo modules basically are your way of actually accessing the native module that you want to access. You know, so it's the implementation that basically when JS calls the specific native module, it knows how to convert all of that into, you know, from JavaScript to JNI and Objective-C to target the specific platform you need. And Ram, again, has a good example of this, which we actually reposted on our blog. So if you actually want to take a look at some pseudocode that goes into the Turbo modules, we have that up on blog.g2i.co. And he walks through kind of an example. So you would expose a JSI object at the top level, something like a native module proxy that's like a global dot turbo module, whatever the name is. And to access this, you know, it actually will require the turbo module file, which inside of that, there is basically the registry that happens. And then from there, it will trigger the JSI function, which is where it can do the platform specific code, right? And actually translate your JavaScript into Java, Objective-C, whatever the case is, and target the target platform that you're working on. So basically, you have turbo modules for, at the end of the day, dealing with things like, you know, some sort of native module that you want to access, maps or maybe push notifications, something like that, are all kind of wrapped up in these, these turbo modules that will be able to translate the JavaScript through the JSI into the Java and Objective-C code that you need at the native layer to actually, you know, make it happen. Yeah, and they had mentioned too about defining those things with like flow or TypeScript to help so that observation step works, right? So there are types so that when it does the observation of the object, it knows what types to create. Yeah, and they just recently did that, and that was a pretty big community effort where basically, I think it was Eli who like put that on an issue on the React Native repo and was basically like, hey, we need help, you know, flow typing these these things. And within, I think it was in with like a day or a couple of days, all of them had been done. I mean, it was a massive, massive amount of work that the community just stepped in, took on, and got done to, to push this project forward. So... You know, that actually goes back to my point earlier about, you know, why does Facebook want to do this with React Native? And part of it is to actually, you know, make the project more maintainable moving forward. And they're seeing that actually be proven out by the way the community is responding to these calls to actually uh, implement some of these changes that need to happen to get the new architecture going. What is the state 
of this re-architecture in its current form today? Because I understand that some of this is planned and some of this is, has been like prototyped and some of this is like in flight. What's the state of the React Native re-architecture today? Yeah, so Fabric was the first part that they announced, which I think that was back in June or July of last year. Sophie had put out a blog post on the Facebook blog kind of announcing that and dropping some hints about the other things that are moving forward. So I'm not actually sure if they've released that into like a, a stable or even, you know, kind of a, a minor release yet or where that's at in terms of the actual React Native repo. But that was one of the first things that they announced that people were aware of that people were already kind of ready to account for. And the rest of this stuff really was just announced at, for the first time at ReactConf. So a lot of this stuff is definitely still in development. And there's a lot of things that are going to have to be figured out. I mean, if you go into the React Native repo right now, all the code for the JSI should be in there, but I don't think it's actually doing anything. They've just kind of been prepping it essentially up to this point. And there's a roadmap that they're figuring out on, you know, how they're actually going to start to make the switch. And I'm sure as, as Lee mentioned, there will be a period where both worlds will be active so that people can start migrating without apps, you know, breaking entirely when you update React Native. So they have a lot of the roadmap is up on the repo. And I think they actually have a separate repository that just kind of tracks in React Native community. I think it is, is where they have uh, kind of a tracking of where everything is going, what their plans are. I know they have like a spreadsheet that shows which modules they want to move out to the community, for instance, and what the roadmap for that is going to be. You know, they kind of went through like every primitive in React Native and made decisions about which one will remain in the core, which ones they'll spin off, which ones they should just deprecate because there's already community-driven solutions for that. And so a lot of that can already kind of be found on the React Native community repository, um, and you can look into some of those issues. So since we are talking about the community dynamic, React Native is kind of an interesting project because it's open source, but it's led by Facebook. Can you describe the community dynamic in more detail and how that's playing out with relation to the React Native rearchitecture? Yeah, and for me, that's the most exciting part of the rearchitecture is that like kind of like Chris mentioned with all the typing and everybody pitching in because of the way that architecture is happening and things are being broken out into modules, it makes it easier for the community to get involved in certain areas. It makes it more organized. Like before, you know, it was an internal project for Facebook and the code was really dense and really kind of hard to follow. And so now with this new architecture and different modules, things are going to be separated and cleaner and we lost Jeff again. It's just cool to me that now this allowing reorganization, which which you anytime you refactor something, right? You have you read you get to redo something. You can use what you've learned, and usually things come out more organized than they did the first time. So that's kind of another benefit we'll have with any rearchitecture, especially this one, is that things will be more organized, more modular, and it allows the community to get involved in an easier way, uh, which is is the thing I really am most excited about. 
Yeah, and I think that's really changed from where React Native was, where you know they've moved to much more of a like a RFC process. There's a lot more involvement from the community. You know, I, I remember hearing complaints from people about you know how hard it was to update React Native because they would just kind of they would work in the dark and release these changes and it would break people's code and it was just kind of a really rough process. I had heard from uh, some people who had talked about they just had their own internal forks of React Native because they had specific things they needed that Facebook wasn't providing them. And so they just went off and did their own fork in order to get what they needed working. And I think this whole effort towards lean core, uh, this whole effort towards, you know, making it much more of an RFC driven process like they have done with React is really going to improve things. And actually, the React Native Twitter account had a, a little thread the other day that described, you know, how already the efforts have gotten the core library into a much more manageable state. They you know, have gone down to about 140 pull requests from 280, where it was in early December. And, you know, that's getting two to five PRs a day. So there's already, you know, tons of community interaction and already just where they're at, they've been able to really start to respond to that more. And their goal ultimately is to be able to be even more like, real time and get to pull requests even quicker than they have been able to and really make it a super responsive, super community driven library, whether that's the core, whether that's the modules that they're spitting out uh, with the lean core effort. They're definitely looking to the community to support the continuous development of React Native and the community has really stepped up and done that so far. This brings up one of one of the biggest uh, highest profile migrations away from react native which was the airbnb movement away from react native they were i think when i did my show with airbnb they discussed the fact that i think i think they had to maintain their own version of react native i could be wrong about that actually but i th- now airbnb is a total edge case and and yeah, I mean, it's just a gigantic organization so it's 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 kind of unsurprising that this, you know, thing that was made for the masses and made for Facebook, you know, eventually, you know, Airbnb out maybe outgrew it. But is there a chance that these kinds of fixes, the fabric and, you know, the kind of the changes to the community management, would these have kept Airbnb in in a more comfortable state with their React Native usage? I think there's a few different issues that Airbnb encountered, which they talked about very openly on a series of blog posts, which I think was really a great insight into beyond just the edge cases of performance we've talked about, you know, what you have to consider when you bring in React Native into a team that already has a significant amount of native code and a significant number of native engineers working on that code. And that's really what Airbnb was, was before they got into React Native, right? It wasn't a React Native Greenfield project. They had large native code bases already. And that also meant they had large native engineering teams. And so there was just a lot of conflict in the culture of those teams where the iOS engineers in general were perfectly fine to move because, you know, as we know, the performance on iOS for the most part is actually pretty solid. And the Android teams for the most part hated it because the performance on Android is just where you kind of run into all the issues a lot of times. So there's definitely like a dev culture 
piece of this that regardless of you know solving the actual performance issues through the new architecture that you just have to deal with and that goes down to you know just choosing the right tools for your team and what's going to get the job done but to the point of the android performance they definitely are going to solve a lot of the android performance issues with the new architecture and in fact Eli White mentioned how much Android has driven this re-architecture that they spent almost all of their time over the last six months focusing on Android because there's a huge you know, number of Android users who use the Facebook apps. And you know, he talked about how uh, on Android, one of the things that really matters a lot more than on iOS is disk access. And reading from the disk is really slow on Android and you pay a penalty for every single time you have to load a Java class. So they spent a bunch of time on the team investigating and optimizing React Native startup on 2014 Android devices to make marketplace really fast for those users. And that's what actually led to the design of turbo modules and you know some of the features of Fabric as well. So Definitely, Android was at the forefront of the Facebook team's, you know, thought process when they were thinking about the, you know, Turbo Modules project and the architecture in general. And they want to make that performance really good for so many of their users who are on older devices, underpowered devices. You know, that's really a huge motivation for them. But yeah, as it relates to Airbnb, maybe you know, the re-architecture would help get more buy-in from the Android teams. But there's also, I you know, probably just an aspect of being comfortable with your tools and, you know, wanting to create a really good developer experience for your teams. And maybe it just wasn't right for them. And you compare that to something like Discord, for example. You know, Discord, Discord really started with React Native from the beginning and really just focused on iOS and made intentional choices about how they were going to deal with performance issues as it related to the native code. And I think they have an engineering team of like 40 people that supports 150 million users, you know, on a an app that really is, has a lot of complexity in it, but runs just beautifully on iOS for sure. So you can definitely see like how the paths differentiate between a company that has a project that is greenfield React Native versus trying to bring in React Native into the brownfield and the different challenges you're going to associate that with that from a technical standpoint, but also just from a developer experience standpoint. All right. As we begin to wrap up, I would be remiss if I did not discuss Flutter with you guys because... So we did some shows about Flutter recently, and it, they were pretty popular. People are very curious about this cross-platform technology solution out of Google. And it was funny because I was reading the transcript of this discussion with the core React Native team. They didn't really want to talk about Flutter, which is which is totally fair. I mean, there was a discussion around React Native, but it was just, there's no clearer sign that, that something is a, is a competitor when somebody refuses to talk about them by name. So what do you think about the, the Flutter architecture where it's writing directly to, as I understand, directly to the, the GPU or directly to the screen or something? It's like, a, it's a different architecture than the React Native architecture 
it, it and it's, it's funny because this is so iconic of the like Google versus Facebook because you know Google has this beautifully architected solution that seems so fundamentally better, and then Facebook has this kind of janky thing with much more traction and that works and that is popular and has a gigantic community around it. Any perspective on Flutter? I can't also explain. I, I'm assuming you're talking about the the uh, chat we had on Discord, and it was insane in a good way and in a little bit of a crazy way. But there were so many people there; it was really a surprise. And when we opened the and Gabe and the guys opened the floodgates, literally for questions, it was just it was so fast that you couldn't really even keep up with it. And there were some wise guys that immediately jumped in there and it's like. Why don't you just use Flutter? And you know they were just trying to be funny. So I think that's kind of uh, drove. Okay. The, so maybe I, I misread. I misread the dialogue. Well, it was just it was it was crazy, and so people thought it was funny to get in a, a dig about Flutter at the get go. So I think that kind of forced like, all right, guys, let's let's get serious and have. Fair does enough. anybody have any real? Because there weren't questions about Flutter. It was just, <laughs> are you guys going to move to Flutter? Why aren't you using Flutter? <laughs> Uh, how many of you guys use Flutter in your free time? So, um, so I think that's why it was kind of avoided because people were kind of being uh, jokesters about it. But so, yeah, so Flutter has widgets and those widgets map to lower level APIs, which render kind of at a lower level and a lot more like you had discussed. And in a lot of ways, it sounds a lot like this JSI uh, method that React's moving to, but it definitely does give nice UI performance and rendering and things like that. For me, especially as kind of like a, a lead and somebody where efficiency and stuff is important, the biggest hang up for me, and I definitely I like options, right? So I like I like that there are other things to try and experiment with and learn. But as a manager or somebody who is concerned about developer efficiency and has a team that already knows JavaScript and React, that's the biggest issue I have with Flutter. It's written in Dart. The uh, the structure of the code is completely different. It's like if you're a JavaScript developer or a web developer or in kind of the area that we live in, it's completely foreign to you. Not saying you can't learn it, but the whole point of React and React Native was to learn once right anywhere. And it actually does work. I mean, it's the same code. You've, you substitute the word div with the word view and you're 90% of the way there, right? <laughs> you're, you're making progress. You're building a mobile app and your team you get way more efficiency out of a team of JavaScript developers that can do both of those things instead of, okay, now you need to go learn Dart and the, the layout structure is completely different and everything is completely new. So that's the, kind of my hang up with it. But performance wise, they're doing neat things. I'm glad that they're doing it in a different way. I think we need different perspectives to you know big problems that we have like mobile development. Um, so I'm glad that it's there, but that's kind of my take, I guess. Lee, do you know, does Google actually use Flutter internally for any of their projects? Uh, I actually they, don't know. They do. Don't, they yeah. do. They do? Yeah. Because okay. uh, I know that was one of the big problems with Angular was, you know, Google wouldn't actually use Angular for their projects. So it wasn't like driven by the real needs of a specific dev team, which I think is interesting. I, I watched a talk the other day from Lee Byron about the creation of GraphQL and one of the things he talked about with GraphQL was how much originally when they created it, it, it was just specifically to meet the needs of one particular team at Facebook. You know, they weren't trying to solve all the world's problems. They just wanted to help this particular team do their job better. And so it evolved as a real product. 
you know, so if they are using it at Google, it's, you know, that's an improvement, I think, where, you know, they can actually have real users who can give them feedback on how to improve it as a product versus, you know, just kind of putting something out there to, you know, have another tool in the ecosystem. And like I said, I I like competition. I like options. Uh, I guess the other issue I kind of have with it is I've got an email in my inbox right now telling me about how my Google Plus account will soon be migrated because they're not doing that anymore. I've got, I have one from before with this thing called, was it Wave, right? And then I, I probably got a couple dozen emails from Google about projects and products in the past that no longer exist. Well, um, sure, but is, I mean, the, the, the Facebook, what was the Facebook graph API or something? What was that API yeah. that like, you know, a bunch of people built stuff on top of and yeah. can't, can't yeah. do that anymore? Yeah, well, and that's what I like about though with, with where React Native is going is you can fork it, right? If you like the way it is, and Facebook says, you know what, we're not doing this anymore, we're going back to native code. The community can completely take over, which is great. That from a higher level, like CEO or executive type person, you're not putting all your eggs in this basket that can just be taken away. It's it is community driven. You can certainly fork it if you want to, and not worry about that force a force of change well it'll it'll certainly be interesting to see if if this evolves into like react versus flutter is the kind of new android versus ios i think we're very far from that being a reality but um you know it's clear that people want cross-platform ui layers it just the the world in which we live is so fragmented and it's it's way too fragmented it's it this is not going to be the uh, the end state we are asymptoting towards um, I think easier cross platform development so we're basically out of time I could talk to you guys for a lot longer because there's a lot of stuff I would want to discuss I do want to give a quick plug for G2I which is where you guys both work because I am a user of G2I I'm a client I have hired people out of G2I and you guys run a great business I'm speaking entirely honestly I've I've used you guys for years at this point. And I think you're building something really significant. So people who are listening and are, you know, looking for React developers or mobile developers, it's really a great place to go for finding contractors, finding hires. I think now you guys are playing more of a community role also. So probably some content, but I just want to congratulate you guys on on really building something meaningful. Cool, man. Thank you. It's fun. We get to hang out with cool people and talk about stuff like this all the time. So uh, we like what we do. Is we meet a lot of great people, a lot of great engineers. We have a pretty difficult process for vetting people, but once they get in, everybody kind of helps each other out. We have a huge Slack channel where people communicate and then share knowledge. And yeah, it's fun. Yeah. And to the point about, you know, getting more involved in the community, uh, we definitely have been talking about you know, some ways to continue to do that and kind of give back to open source as a business. And so we'll be announcing some things this year about how we can continue to push that forward and, you know, give back to the open source community, which has given us so much. And, you know, we basically built our business on the open source community around React and React Native. And so we're excited to continue to find opportunities to support the community that's building so many of these great products and, you know, just making the development experience so, so pleasant for so many people. Okay, guys, that's great. Well, thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for having us. Wow.